Hello, everybody, again. Hi, Micah. Good to see you, buddy. My son, my son. All right, we're going to be continuing on in the book of Hebrews, talking about a life of faith and working on our hope zone concept. Amen. We're going to be looking at Enoch today. Seek the Lord. God wants you to seek the Lord. By faith, it's time to really seek the Lord. The right thing to do in every situation is to seek the Lord. The point of this message is that you would seek the Lord. The point of Enoch's life was that he sought the Lord. The reason God loved Enoch was because he was a man who sought the Lord. So seek the Lord. Learn to more diligently seek the Lord. Stir up your heart to more passionately seek the Lord. Calvary Chapel, let's seek the Lord. What I'm trying to say is, I want you to seek the Lord. I'm going to read Hebrews 11, 5 and 6, I believe it is. And then I'm going to read Genesis chapter 5 about Enoch from Genesis. And then I'm going to come back and read Hebrews again. This is a really interesting portion of scripture. Um, in Hebrews, the summary of Enoch's life is longer than the Genesis portion of Enoch's life. So that's really interesting when someone writes a biography that's longer than the life itself. But you'll see what I'm talking about in a second. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended. He was put on display as a life to imitate, as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch's life were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Hebrews again. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I want to go through this sermon backwards this time. And I want to just start off by coming to grips with the scripture saying that without faith, it's impossible to please God because everyone who would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So let me just start off by saying it is an awesome thing to find out that God requires us to believe that he will reward us for seeking him. Okay. That is an awesome truth. That when we seek him, and we'll get into some practical ways that we can seek him, that when we seek him, God says, the only way I want to, you to seek me, the most fundamental thing, the most important part, is that you would know that I'm going to reward you for seeking me. He says that in fact, if we don't 
kind of take ourselves by the hand and say, when you're praying, when you're seeking, whatever you're doing, you need to know that God's going to respond well. If you don't do that, he says, I'm not happy. That is an awesome thing to me, that God would do that. To say, you have to seek me, and you have to know that I'm going to reward you for doing it. Do you ever find being a Christian boring? Are there any guys who are here just because of their wives? Or vice versa? Is this not engaging? One thing I know is true is that you're not seeking the Lord. Because nobody who lives seeking the Lord is bored. You might be terrified. You might be afraid. You might be confused. You might be rejoicing. You might be thrilled. You might be dancing. But you're not bored. Because when you live seeking the Lord, and He is rewarding, and you're seeking, and He's rewarding, and you're seeking, and He's rewarding, and all the trouble in between the seeking and the rewarding, you are not bored. And Simpson reruns are not appetizing. Okay, well, maybe for a couple of you. This is really important, that we're a people who live seeking God and receiving the experience of Him responding to us. That we're not just going through the motions or saying, this is how we should live, let's all go and do it, but living a million miles away from the Lord. The life He wants us to have is us going, God, move! And Him saying, I respond. And us saying, whoa, you responded. That is the life that God wants. And without that, he's not pleased. This is huge. This is huge. And right now, it's more important that we get into a rhythm of life of seeking and experiencing the word than being offended that I exposed you for being bored. Amen? Amen. This is huge. This is really huge. What's the deal with Enoch? Why is he characterized as an example of someone who sought the Lord? We don't know. I don't know. There is so little detail about Enoch. We know his name. Uh, we know that he lived for as many years as days it takes for the earth to go around the sun. Did I just lose you? I'll say it one more time. It takes 365 days for the sun, earth to go around the sun. And when God took Enoch, he took him on the 365th day of his life, though he probably could have expected to live 800 or 900 years because that's how many years people lived back then. So God took him at a significant time that we would go, Hey, that's really interesting. That's not an accident. But his life is just characterized by this, by this phrase. Enoch walked with God. What did he eat for suppers? I don't know. Enoch walked with God. How tall was he? I don't know. Enoch walked with God. Was he good with a shield and spear? No clue. Enoch walked with God. Was he a handsome preacher? Couldn't tell you. What I know is, Enoch walked with God. And God was pleased with it. They had this supernatural relationship where they were encountering each other. Enoch talked with God and listened for God. And God listened to Enoch and responded back to him. And he had this faith-based relationship where everything was about the Lord. They walked together. Do you walk with the Lord? 
I'm not trying to make you feel nervous or guilty, but it's a fair question to ask. Do you walk with the Lord? Is your day about the Lord? Awesome. Is your time about the Lord? Do you commune with Him? Do you make decisions with Him? Do you receive from Him? And again, we're going to have practical ways to seek Him. But walking with the Lord in context is a life spent seeking the Lord about everything and anything and being rewarded for all that seeking. Amen? That's the life walking with the Lord. I'm seeking Him about everything and anything. And I'm experiencing his response, his good response to all of my seeking. That's walking with the Lord. And this is your call in life to do this. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for elders. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for the quote unquote importance. This is your call in life to walk with the Lord in everything. To experience him listening to you and responding to you in everything. And it doesn't always happen right away. I I keep reminding Ellie when we drive to school and are talking through life stuff, God's not a microwave. He's a slow cooker. Okay. Um, And that's good. It's not kind of you put the pizza pop in there and bleep, bleep, bleep. And for the next 90 seconds, you fume about how it's not done yet. And then you pull it out and it's exploded on the outside and still frozen on the inside, but you eat it anyways, because there's a lineup. God's not a microwave. He's a slow cooker. He's, he's, you put the roast beef in there at 8 in the morning with the potatoes and the carrots and the beef stock and you sprinkle on the, the roasted garlic and the, put the salt and the pepper in there and you, and you just put it and you wait. And then your house starts to smell awesome and you know it's not done yet. And you wait and you wait and you wait. And then when it's time, it's a good time. God's not a microwave. He's a slow cooker. It's good to remind yourself of that. But he's calling us to a life of seeking him, often waiting on him, and then experiencing his response and being able to say, God did that. Thank you, Christy, for sharing your testimony. You sought the Lord. He used you. He responded to your act of faith. And now you can say, I'm experiencing the reward. I have the joy of knowing there's faith in somebody else and they're praying for me now. That's walking with the Lord. It's an interesting story, okay? I'm shifting gears a little bit here because I, I want to get at something here that's going on in Enoch because he wasn't, we didn't know that he had such a great walk with the Lord by what happened in his life. We learned about his walk with the Lord because of what didn't happen at his death. Are you following with me so far? So Enoch is one of two individuals in human history that we know from the Bible that never had a funeral. He was alive, and then he was in the direct presence of God. And we don't know what happened with Enoch. We know from Elijah's life that there was this fiery chariot that gave him a personal escort, eyewitnessed by Elijah. But we don't have any details from Enoch. But what is God trying to say in Enoch's life? In order to really get at it, I think we need to read some verses from Genesis chapter 5. Let me take you back there in time. These are the early days of human history. And God created a sinless world, a good world, a world that had some work to do. He just started in a little garden out in the Middle East and was expecting his image bearers to go throughout the entire planet, making it a glorious temple for him to dwell in through them. And things went really, really, really wrong in the garden when our first parents rejected God's presence and rejected his word by taking that fruit and said, we don't believe you when you say we can eat every fruit in the garden, but don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They said, we don't believe you. We don't have faith. And they ate that fruit. And one of the consequences of that was that death entered the world and death entered Adam and Eve. And so in chapter 5, after the story of Cain and Abel, which was last sermon, um, we have this genealogy. Okay, and a genealogy is a list of descendants. This person gave birth to this person, who gave birth to this person, who gave birth to this person. And the genealogies tend to be the famous for being so boring in the Bible. Amen? Anybody tried to read through the first nine chapters of Levit- uh, not Leviticus, Chronicles lately? Anybody? Just... It's hard work 
you need the three cups of coffee and some chocolate-covered espresso beans just to get through it. It's, it's labor-intensive, but it's very, very, very meaningful. And this genealogy covers the time from Adam through to Noah. And there's something very unique about this genealogy, and you'll catch it when I just pick out some words from this genealogy as I go through, okay? Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Thus all the days that Seth lived were 912 years, and he died. Thus all the days that Enosh lived were 905 years, and he died. Thus all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. What keeps coming up in this genealogy? And he died. And he died. And he died. And even though they're living these really long lives, this is before God got tired of people living so long because they tended to just get worse and worse and worse and worse with time, and so he reduced our age span. Um, it's just trying to say to us, the curse is in effect. This is the faithful line. This is Adam's line through Seth. But they die, and 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 we all die, and everyone's going to die, and it's all going to die, and we're all going to die because of the curse. And the big question here is, are we wasting our lives walking with God if we're just going to die? Are we wasting our time on Sunday mornings and tithing eh, if we're just going to die? Was the vote down in the States, which people are still writing about, meaningless because everyone's just going to die? The winners are going to die, and the losers are going to die, and all of the minorities are going to die, and all of the everybody else's are going to die, and everyone in the Middle East is going to die. So does nothing matter? Worshipping the Lord, not worshipping the Lord, seeking the Lord, not seeking the Lord. Are we all just going to die? And then seven generations after Adam, we have Enoch, who walked with God and didn't die. Now you've got to remember, in the scripture and in time, they didn't know about Jesus They didn't know about the resurrection of the dead. There was no kind of just assumption that people went to heaven. There was just funerals. And so what God is doing physically with Enoch is he's saying to everyone who would come to him in faith, if you walk with me, you won't die. If you walk in faith with the Lord, you live and then you live forever. That's how it works. If you walk in faith with God, you have a life, and then you have eternal life. And most of us will have a funeral, but we won't die. That's our faith. And what he did was he took Enoch and said, I'm going to skip the funeral part just to prove that even though I've cursed you physically and you will die, if you walk with me in faith, my blessing is stronger than the curse by faith, and you will just keep living. Now in my presence. That's the point. And the bigger question it answers then, what's going to happen after I die? Which is a big question. By faith you will go to be with the Lord is, your life is not meaningless because it will go on forever with the Lord. What you do today to be faithful to Christ is not meaningless because you will enjoy the rewards of it forever with the Lord. Because you have a life now and you will have a funeral And then you will have eternal life, but you will not die. There will not be an end to your relationship with God. It will just get better when your heart finally stops. If that happens, Jesus could return before then and we'll we'll be like an Enoch. We'll just go from this mortal life to eternal life without a funeral. And that's our faith. This is our faith. This is our hope. And this is why it is not a waste to seek the Lord. Because your rewarder will be rewarding you forever for your faith in his son Jesus as you seek him for his will and his good and his power in our lives and in the world. Amen? Is that a good thing? 
Does that matter at all? It's a big deal. It really is a big deal. Our seeking the Lord is never wasted. God requires us to know that he will reward us when we seek him. And he promises that we will live forever as seekers of the Lord, just like Enoch went from life to eternal life, funeral free. I want to take a few minutes and just talk about the glory of being called to walk with God in our lives. Saints, hear me now. It is so awesome that God wants us to walk with him in this life, to spend all our time in his presence, not necessarily thinking about him. We've got these tiny little brains and our attention spans are usually unifocused and and are stuck in one thing at a time. And even if you grew up on television like I did, and it seems like you can think about lots of things at a time, it's really you're just not thinking about anything. You're just kind of buzzing. In the back of your head, you're going through old video games you used to play, and you're also thinking about what the weather's going to be like tomorrow and what's for dinner, and you're just thinking about a bunch of different things. Not well. We can't think about everything all the time. God knows this, but we can walk with God all the time. And he wants this for us. He wants this for us so bad that he skipped over Enoch's funeral and wrote about his life saying, Enoch walked with God and I was so pleased with him. I took him straight to be with me and I want you to have the same seeking me, walking with me faith that he had. Every single one of you in this room, God wants that for us so bad. In the New Testament time, he sent Jesus to be our savior He crucified him and offered him up as a sacrifice so that every sin which breaks our relationship with God, every sin which is the barrier between us and God is taken down by his blood. He brought him back from the dead so that Jesus could be continually interceding for us, praying for us in heaven. Um, If you're in the hope zone helpers for Hebrews, I think this week's verse is, and Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who would draw near to him draw near to God through him because he continually lives to make intercession for them. He is right now praying, God, help them get this. I'm fighting for them. I live forever to be their savior. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. The very spirit of the living God dwells with us and inside of us so that we could be one with him forever to walk with him every day i was thinking about it at the beginning of the first sermon i was like why does it impact me so much the call to walk with god so i was in my two-month break i was you know spending time at different places just trying to be alone with the lord and i would read through the story of enoch and just think that that Enoch's life was characterized as walking with God. And I would just weep, weep, weep with longing. God, I just want to walk with you. I just want to be with you in life. I want to be interacting with you and led by you and following you and pouring out my heart to you and receiving back from you direction, correction, encouragement, and affection or whatever it is. God, I just want to walk with you. So huge. And I was wondering if it is in part because I'm an identical twin. Okay. I am an identical twin. I have a twin who lives in Vancouver, so you probably won't run into him. It was really funny. When I lived out in BC, I I went to school in Kelowna, and my brother went to school in Vancouver, and they are five hours apart, so you would think that this wouldn't mess up anybody's life, but one time an acquaintance that I had at school in Kelowna went down to Vancouver and saw my brother there and was trying to say hi to him, but my brother was like blowing him off, like, what are you trying to do, weirdo? I don't know you. Because it was true. And so he came back and was talking to one of our mutual friends saying, why was your friend Rob being such a jerk to me in Vancouver? And we had a good laugh about that because it wasn't me. And um, then we moved to Vancouver and Jackie and I were on the bus going to, to a region one time. And so there was some guy on the bus going, hey, hey, how's it going? How are you doing to me? And I was like, oh, you think I'm my twin brother. I'm not my twin brother. But what's your name? And he, he didn't know how to, it just messed him up. <laughs> 
I was trying to be friendly. I was not like my brother did that other time. <laughs> Anyhow, I love my brother very deeply. But I'm a twin, and so my life, okay, at one time I was one living organism with this guy, and then it split, and we became two separate things. And uh, I shared a womb with him for about nine months, and then shared parents with him for the, for the rest of our lives, and shared a house. And so I'm used to being just like instinctively close with somebody and understanding them and and um, have this deep longing for that kind of connection. And then it dawned on me that that is exactly what God is working on in each one of us. He is working on making us identical twins with Jesus Christ. Um, there was this twin story Tom and I have. We were teenagers, late teenagers, and my mom was out somewhere. And whenever my mom was out, then it was my dad's turn to make dinner. And his joke was always, my turn to make dinner. Where do you guys want to go? That was always his joke. You know, it's like we're you know, just hit a restaurant because he definitely didn't cook. And, um, and so he, it was approaching dinner time. Tom and I were watching TV, and my dad just came to the back of the room. And I'm sure we both kind of sensed that he was there. And at the exact same time, Tom and I both turned to him and said, where are we going for dinner? In the exact same voice, with the exact same intonation. It was like, it was a twin moment. And, and we just freaked out. We we're like, ah, that's so cool. And my dad's like, whoa, you have no idea what it's like to have that happen to you. To have two people who look the same, do the same thing, and say the same thing at the exact same time. And so we all just freaked out. And it was wonderful. But that is what God is doing in us through the Holy Spirit. He is conforming us to Christ so that we would be identical twins. We would have this awesome, intimate relationship with Jesus. And we would say the same things at the same time, in the same way that he's doing it. And we would do the same things that he is doing at the same time, in the same way. We would be reflecting Jesus to the world and have the same heart coming out of us. And that's why the Holy Spirit's in us. Walking with God is so important to God that he, he will do almost anything to help us to do that, including letting us go into some of the hardest times of our life. Um, there were some really tough times for me over this, the last two months that I had off. Um, I'm back full-time, if anyone's curious. People are asking me. But during that t- time off, there were so many good times, but there were some days that were so bad that I just felt like hell had opened up. And was reaching out to get me and destroy my life and destroy my faith and destroy everything else. And every once in a while, those bad times would happen in a time when I couldn't get a hold of anybody. I couldn't phone Dave. I couldn't get a hold of Ron, my, my pastor. And, and there's a sense of it's like, oh, I'm all alone and these things are so terrible and I can't get any help. But then I would turn to the Lord. And I would deal with it with the Lord. I would wrestle things through with the Lord and in prayer and get Jackie was often helping me and pointing them out that might pointing me in that direction. And um, you may remember Chrissy, the missionary was here a few weeks ago and we had the, just the blessing of having her and Marianne over for dinner. And, and she was just talking for a while and, and she, she just made this comment saying, you know, sometimes there is no fix for something besides just getting with God and really pouring out your heart with Him. She's like, yeah, friends are great, counselors are great, pastors are great, we're the body of Christ, that's true, but sometimes it's God's will that there would be no fix for a problem besides you getting together with God and just dealing with Him face to face. And the reason that is, is because God is so hungry for us to walk with him. That in order for us to grow in it, he will take us into situations where there's nothing we can do but turn to God and finally get real with him and really pour out our hearts with him and really be broken with him and then receive back from him the reward for seeking him. And then you come out of those times going, wow, I met with God. And now I know him better than I knew him before. And that is so precious to the Lord so precious to him. A couple of theological hurdles. Let's jump them together. 
this life of seeking the Lord all the time, a response could be, boy, this doesn't sound very much like grace. Or another response could be, how does God's sovereignty work on work in with me seeking the Lord all the time? Sounds like I've got a lot of work to do either way. Okay, let's, let's jump these. Okay. That doesn't sound like a lot of grace. I've meditated on that. I'm not taking that question flippantly. And it seems to me that the key to understanding how the call to lifelong seeking the Lord is grace is that God is a seeking God. And when we're called to become seekers, we're called to become more like God. Whenever God is working to make us like him, it's grace. My battery's toast. Can I get the handheld? We'll now pause for this commercial announcement. Potluck. In half an hour and 45 minutes. All right, we're back. When God says to us, I want you to seek me, he is also saying, I am working to make you more like me. Luke 15 There's a bunch of Pharisees challenging Jesus and how powerfully he is seeking unbelievers, and he tells three parables. The first one is about a shepherd who's lost a sheep. You know this one if you've been to Sunday school. It was every other Sunday for three years. There's a shepherd who has 99 sheep, and he loses one, and he leaves the 99, and he goes on his journey. All right, and you've got to remember that he's out in the boondock somewhere. He's struck hunting for the sheep, so he's looking under the brambles and he's getting cut and he's going on the hills and he has to look in little every little nook and cranny because um, sheep are really really good at getting themselves stuck okay they're experts at it and if they fall over they usually can't get themselves up and so he's hunting he's going high and low and this this shepherd is not grumbling the whole time he's not going razzle frazzle merzle frizzle you know um wool bag you know dropping dropper you know he's not just angry the whole time because when he finally finds the sheep he doesn't give it a thrashing he throws a party You'll remember, he goes to his friends, come and have a party with me. I lost the sheep and now I found it. And that's a picture of what God is like. God, the seeking God who seeks out sinners to rescue them. He tells another story of, of a woman who has 10 silver coins and she loses one of them. Somebody told me before that women were way better at, at finding things that are lost in the house than guys are. I don't know if it's true. But um, she lights a lamp, and she's looking in all the nooks and crannies. She's getting her broom out, and she's beaten in the corners, and she's moving the couch out of the way to look under the couch, which is what I would never do to look for something. It's like, well, there's a couch there. It can't be under the couch. And she's looking through the cushions, and she's got her arm down. This is what I do do whenever Lego's missing. It's you put your arm all the way into the back of the couch, and ow, there's nails back there. But, you know, somebody's lost their thick two-piece yellow piece, which is the one that's needed to finish off the Death Star. And so you've got your fingers underneath there, and you're rooting around. And so she's doing the whole looking thing, and she finds the coin. And she, again, throws a party. And what Jesus is saying is that this is what God is like. This is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what the Father God is like. He hunts and he searches. And when he is done seeking, when he finds what he's looking for, he throws a party. And then he throws, um, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, saying God is like a father whose son has run away, not run away, but left home, looking for pleasure, looking for fame, looking for just a good life, and is waiting every day for his son to return. And when his son does return, and he sees him in the distance, this father runs down the road, and ancient Near Eastern rich guys never ran. You ran to them. They didn't run to you. He runs down the road to embrace his son because he's been looking and searching for so long. And they have to have a party. They have to kill the fatted calf. They have to do this because our God is a God who seeks. 
and finds. And so Jesus, you remember after the story of Zacchaeus, when Zacchaeus is showing his repentance by saying, this day I give away half my wealth, and if I've robbed anybody, I'll restore fourfold to them. Jesus' response is, today salvation has come to this household, and the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And so our God's a seeking God. Our God leaves heaven to come down and find what's been lost. And so is it grace to be called to be a seeker? Yeah, it is grace because God is trying to make us just like him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And whenever God is trying to make us more like Jesus, that is his love gift. That is heaven on earth. That is a pearl worth selling everything to have. And what about the sovereignty of God and seeking God? I'm going to be really quick on this one. The answer to your riddle, my friend, is that if God wants to fulfill his purposes through people seeking him for his purposes, then that's how he decided to fulfill his purposes. Problem solved. My brain is very small, so I don't want to get confused. So I use go for the easy answers. Okay, in the next few minutes, seven ways to seek the Lord. First and most importantly would be just in prayer, in your getting alone and talking to God time. Psalm 63, I think it is, David says this, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So the psalm is a written down prayer time. And, and in this prayer, he's saying, I want you so bad. It's like I'm in a desert. There's no water. There's no food. I'm so hungry. And so what I'm doing, I want you so bad is I am going to come in prayer and start by telling you, God, I want you so bad. I want you so, 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 so bad. That's where seeking starts. And he goes on in the psalm that says, I, my soul will be satisfied as if I've had the riches of food. He said, I'm so hungry, but when I seek you, you're going to satisfy me. It's, it'll be like you sat me down, Christmas dinner. There's a 20-pound turkey crammed full of stuffing. It's this great, you know, double flax bread from Costco mixed with onions and celery just jammed in there. And there's the drippings getting in there. And then we're going to have potatoes with the salt and the pepper boiled into the potatoes with some slivered garlic. And it's going to be so, just smells so good. You're going to, can't even wait for it to finish boiling. And then you're going to have peas and carrots and Harvard beets. And you're probably not going to have the Brussels sprouts. But maybe you will because it's good for you. If you put enough garlic and butter on anything, it's good. So you can do that. Do you see David acting out this seeking and knowing he will get rewarded? I am so hungry. I seek you in prayer and I know that my soul will be satisfied. There are some things in life I know that you are not willing to lose. I don't know what it is for you. Um, you might be willing to have a fist fight or if someone tries to steal your car. Um, you know, if someone breaks into your house and you think they're going to hurt your family, you might turn into the American ninja right there, or they might be introduced to your gun collection. I don't know what it is. Um, I know that everybody has something that they are just not willing to lose. And my, my desire and call for you is that it would be your intimate prayer life with the Lord. That whatever happens, you are just not willing to lose having an intimate, ongoing prayer life with the Lord because you need him and you want to be with him and you want to seek him. Amen. You can seek the Lord with fasting, choosing not to eat or drink for a period of time in order to seek the Lord. There's this great story in Ezra where Ezra is about to lead a bunch of people back to Jerusalem to help build up the city. And uh, he writes this. He says, I was ashamed to ask the king. He's working for a great king. I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy as we traveled. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and prayed and implored our God for this. And he listened to our entreaty. 
And so what the picture is there is, okay, Ezra's got faith to go from wherever he was back to Jerusalem to help build things up. And the king has said, okay, you can go. Uh Uh-oh. Right? Sometimes in faith we step out and then it starts working and then we get nervous. Um, so he's, and he realizes that he's got hundreds of miles through desert and foreign countries where there's bandits and marauders all over the place. There's no cell phones. There's no GPS. There's no calling out the Coast Guard. You know, there's no police cars. So if bandits attack you and you don't have a bunch of swords on your own to defend yourself, you're toast. And so they're realizing they have this really dangerous journey. And then he's thinking to himself, but as part of our witness to the world, we told the king that God is with whoever is doing his will. And so it would seem like a little bit of a witness diminishment if we said, God is for us. Could you send the Navy SEALs with us, please? Because the king might think, well, actually, you need my help, not God's help. So what did they do? They fasted. They fasted. They fast and said, okay, God, we're in the situation. If we ask the king for help, it's going to actually make you look bad, but we have this huge, dangerous journey to be on, so we're going to fast. And he says that God heard them, and they made it through alive. So obviously he was faithful. You can seek the Lord by fasting, expecting a reward as you seek him in faith. Uh, you can seek the Lord by resting. When God took the Israelites out of Egypt, they had been slaves, so they had worked every single day of their lives for years and decades. And one of the things he commanded them to do was take one day a week off just to rest and be with him. And it was so important to him that he actually got a little bit whenever they just rejected the Sabbath. Because he's saying something to them. He's saying, your resting tells me that you trust me. And when you won't rest, what you're saying is, I I don't trust you and I'm not seeking you. And so we are Christians. We're not covenantally bound to the Sabbath. Every day we are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there still is this spiritual principle that if we are working every day and we never rest, we are deep down saying, I don't trust you, Lord. And so we can rest in order to seek the Lord and say, I want to know you, Lord. I am going to take a day off and I'm going to do nothing really productive. And I need you to respond because it feels like my whole world will fall apart if I don't, whatever it is. Amen? So we can seek the Lord by taking a strategic rest. We can seek the Lord by repenting. Okay, So we seek the Lord by coming to him and telling him how he's sinned and how we've sinned and asking him to forgive us. There's this great story in Samuel. Um, Samuel has grown up. He's a prophet. And you may remember that um, the Ark of the Covenant was taken into the Philistine territory for a number of months or years because the people had presumed that God would be with them as long as they took the Ark into battle. And they were horribly defeated, and the Philistines took the Ark. The bad news for the Philistines was is that the Ark was more dangerous without the Israelites than with the Israelites, and everywhere they took it, the Ark would strike the cities with plagues and tumors, and they, they just kept moving around town hoping that God would leave them alone. And eventually they sent the Ark back. The problem was is that they hadn't repented in the time that the ark was gone. So even when the ark came back, there was this whole hubbub and more people got struck dead because they still hadn't learned how to revere the Lord. And so the Israelites were about to get attacked one more time. And Samuel says to them, hey, this is 7.33 and following. Sorry, 7.3 and following. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth, and they served the Lord only, and then they won this battle. And so what God is showing there is, when you seek me, you should be expecting to have to apologize for some stuff along the way. When you seek me, you should be expecting me to bring stuff up that I want to deal with for you before I complete the reward that I want to give you. Because heart issues are the first issues with God. That's why we started off our morning this way, where we said, before we come and sing, let's take care of our relationships with each other. Before we come and sing, let's repent to the Lord. Because that's the issue. If we're here without having 
dealt with our sins, that's the issue. And we can start singing and listening to messages and wonder why things are so shallow and wonder why things are so not just working. And God's just saying, you haven't sought me the way you need to seek me yet. Repent first in prayer time, and I will respond the way you're asking me to. Amen? Three more. We can seek the Lord by working. You said, I thought you just told me I can seek the Lord by resting. Well, everything depends on the circumstances. Sometimes you seek him with resting, and sometimes you seek him with working. And uh, I'm going to skip over my scripture verse here just for time's sake, but... um, Essentially, the big idea is if you've prayed and you've sought and the Lord's saying, now it's time for you to act so I can work through you, then seeking him by working is a way of seeking him. You can seek the Lord by studying. Studying God's word. Acts 17.10. Paul and Silas are in a city called Thessalonica, and they get chased out by persecutions. And it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to a town called Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Uh, They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And so as the story goes, what he's saying is, Um, The gospel came to them, and they responded to the gospel message by studying God's word. And as they studied it, they came to saving faith. So they were were rewarded for their study with eternal life. Amen? So everybody here who's ever gone to seminary is like, Yay! It can happen! I can get rewarded for all my studies! That's a little joke. But we need to know that this is part of our utility belt for our christian walk god wants to reward us by seeking him by studying his word are you having a hard time in your marriage Uh, seek god's will for marriage in the scripture learn what he commands us to do and how to think about it god will reward you you have a hard time parenting study parenting in the scriptures seeking him there and he will reward you are you having a hard time with your anger Study anger in the scriptures, seeking him there, not to be a good Christian, but seeking him by learning, and he will reward you. Are you having a hard time understanding Pastor Rob? Read through the scriptures I've been using, seeking the Lord, and he'll give you more understanding. And finally, I just want to end out on this one. We can seek the Lord by crying out to him. Psalm 86.3 says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day long. And as I, I did a little Bible search, I just put in the word cry. I was looking for some scripture about crying out to the Lord. And there are so many scriptures in the Psalms where they're coming to him and they're crying out to him. And it is a picture of like getting desperate and getting emotional and not being happy and letting it hang out towards the Lord. Because there can be this sense where, you know, if you're a Christian, anytime something goes wrong, what you do is you say, um, thank you, God, I know you're in control, and please make something nice happen, and amen. And God's listening to your prayer saying, okay, that sounded nice, but I know that you're really hurt and angry inside. So why are you saying all that stuff you don't believe? Amen? Don't, don't lie to God in prayer. Don't try to pull a fast one on him. The greatest con men in human history can't pull a fast one on the Lord. He knows. And so instead of trying to fake it with the Lord, David seeks him by saying, God, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. People want to kill me. I'm sick again. I'm angry. I've got these enemies that I wish were dead. Literally, says that sometimes. You know, he's working it through with the Lord. He's crying out to him. And so some of us probably, I don't have anybody in particular in mind here, some of us need to learn how to seek the Lord by crying out to him, by, by melting down in his presence. Because you are melted down. Or, or finally coming to terms and saying, this is what I really want, Lord, because um, 
If you're anything like me, some of the most precious desires of your heart, they're so precious and they feel so vulnerable that you don't even want to pray about them because God might hear your prayer and then not respond the way you want him to. Have you ever been there before? Some of our hurts or desires or longings or hopes are so precious and so tender that we don't even want to bring it to the Lord because what if he doesn't respond the way I want him to? So we just kind of bury it. And those are the exact things that God wants us to learn to cry out about. God, I'm so broken here. I'm so worried here. I'm so beaten up here. I'm still so hurting here. And if that's where you're at, dear Lord, I don't want to pray to you about so-and-so salvation because I am worried that you're not going to respond and I feel like you haven't responded in other things I've prayed about and I'm kind of ripped off about that and we need to sort this thing out. That is learning to seek the Lord by crying out to him. Amen? Thank you for walking with me. I'm going to pray, and if the team wants to lead us in some music, that would be a graceful thing. Father, we just, we just need you. Father, again, I am so relieved and encouraged and provoked that you would say, I want this life of faith from you where you're seeking me all the time, walking with me and expecting me to respond to you. Father, thank you so much. Father, thank you that when we pray to you, you don't screen our phone calls. You don't let it go to, to the answering machine and maybe get to it later. You're attentive and you're responsive and you do good to us in return. Father, I thank you that our heart vulnerable walk with you is more important to you than us getting what we ask for immediately. And that you want to work on our character and our love and our intimacy with you and other people along the way. God, my prayer is that you would help each one of us to seek you. Lord, where we've been distant or bored in this life, that we would respond by saying, I'm going to seek God. God, give me a mission in life. God, give me a revelation of Jesus. God, stir my heart where I need to act to know you. God, I'm just so done with things being half-efforted, half-baked, and wholly disappointing. God, would you receive this message as me seeking you on behalf of our church? In Jesus' name.